It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You're listening to the Red Wave Report the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. Virgil on second and down, will play action. That's Chad Olson in for his first touchdown of the season. 20-7 to Fresno State. This is a really good reaction by the young quarterback. He gets heavy pressure by Bryson Gates right off the edge. Greenlee throwing and has a man. That's caught. Finally has Olsen. And he's in for his second score of the night. Chad Olsen on the touchdown. It's a great play call design. They get Quentin Bryant matched up on the backside. Run flow away. So now he's matched up with the tight end man-to-man. And he runs a smash route. Olsen runs a smash route over a corner. And this time, you're going to see the release. He stacks him. Quick move inside. A nice head whip back to the corner. Really good route. Welcome back, everyone, to the number one rated Fresno State podcast. That's right. You heard it right. We are now the number one Fresno State rated podcast, the Red Wave Report. And But I couldn't do it alone. So with me is also Mr. Josh Webb. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It is a wonderful, wonderful feeling having the sport of college football back in our lives, Lucio. Oh, definitely. And as you can tell, I put some of the, the sounds from... I did, I did. I, I think that I was actually listening to that and saying this needs to be the norm from here on out almost during the season. I I kind of enjoyed that. Well, that's... I think, that, I'm sure the fans might have too. That's kind of the plan. I, I kind of want to get a, some of the, the highlights and just put them at our, at our intro so that the... They can they can kind of get the feel of what how how we feel whenever we hear those kind of sounds because you know there's nothing like college football. I mean, the NFL is coming back, but I tell you what, I'm, I'm more interested in college football than I am in the NFL. So uh, that's just that's just the way it is. You know why I hate NFL season? Why? What's that? I this is why I hate NFL season. Like people obviously around you know what you do. I mean, in in your walks of life, I mean, whether it be, you know, my physical therapist or my friends or people, you know, that I talk to at the dog park, it's always the same question. My fantasy draft is coming up. (laughs) Who are some players coming out of college this year that could help me gain an edge? And it's just... It's always comical to me that people come to me for NFL fantasy advice like I don't cover college football. Like, like how the hell would I know if Adrian Peterson or DeMarco Murray is the better fantasy pick? Like, how the hell would I know if you should sit Jer- Jeremy Macklin or Amari Cooper? By the way, you should sit Jeremy Macklin. <laughs> it, <laughs> Amari, Amari Cooper is probably going to have a much better season, I think. And, and I'll be honest, I, I'm a little guilty of that myself. I kind of sent you a text this weekend 
only because I was starting I, to kind I of panic. I forgot about that, to be honest. <laughs> like, you're not even the dude. I don't care about that. Like, stuff, people who only ask me, like, one or two things, like, that's going to happen. Like, I, I mean, that's just friends asking other friends stuff. I, I usually, like, my luck is that I run into those people who want me to go, like, all right, so here's what I need at my flex position. And I'm like, <laughs> just get a scat back then. Get a scat. Like, if you have a flex position, don't grab a wide receiver. Grab another running back. Like, I don't understand. Like, uh, yeah, never occupy your flex position with with a wide receiver unless you happen to have like five all world beating receivers that you just can't use, which I don't even know how anyone would have that in fantasy draft. But no. but I, I always find it interesting that people come to me for advice about the NFL. A, like I know anything at all and can help them. Oh, well, I, I'm I'm an NFL idiot. I freely admit that it's a completely different game. And I and I'm getting the same thing now that uh, people know that I'm I'm involved with you guys and helping out with uh-huh, college football. All of a sudden now I'm I'm the the college football genius. I should know all the, right? the rookies coming it's amazing. out. It's amazing how that tag gets bestowed upon you. Like like oh you know Josh over here he'll be able to tell you and it's like. No, I'm not going to be able to tell you who the dude that played for Eastern Illinois was. Like, I do I look like I watch <laughs> Eastern Illinois? I exactly. mean, that's how I come feel. on, man. <laughs> but you know what? That's besides the point. Let's ring it back in and go back to college football. Yeah, we we got some games we can talk about with players that I do know a little something about. <laughs> exactly. So, well, you know, Fresno State did come out victorious this past week, 34 to 13. If you want to even call it victorious, I think that should have been a lot bigger spread. Uh, but you know, now this week they're heading off to, uh, to Ole Miss, which should be a lot, a very big, enormous test for the Bulldogs now. And, uh, well, later on we'll get a chance to, to get deeper into that. But I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, you know, fans have been doing great these last couple of weeks sending us questions. And so I wanted to go ahead and ask you a couple of them. One, you know, one is still pertaining to the stadium renovations. One of the fans wants to know, what is the urgency behind getting the stadium renovated? And so I thought, you know, why not just throw this one at Josh? You've been doing a lot of work with the stadium renovations, digging up a lot of that information. What's your take on this? Why the urgency on the stadium renovations? Oh, that's a simple, man. That's keeping up with the Joneses. That's it. That's 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 all it is. If you look across the landscape of college football, if you don't have it, it's a negative recruiting tactic. If, I mean, that's just it is what it is like. There's no there's no need to break it down much further than that. And I'm not trying to, like, avoid answering the question for this user. This is truthfully what it is. We're in an era of college football right now where recruits who take their visits they, they look across campuses and they take a mental inventory. They take mental inventory of facilities. They take mental inventory of aesthetics. They take mental inventory of the perks, of the gear. All of these little things factor into the general overall excitement of how a recruit feels before or after he visits a school. And having those things, being able to present those things to recruits, Uh, When you're bringing kids in from out of town on official visits because they can't be around the school all that often, the urgency in getting them done is that they are done. I mean that you can actually show it to them because other people have them right now and they're getting the recruits. 
So that's why you're seeing a lot of urgency on this matter. And, and to be all honest, uh, Bulldog Stadium is in dire need of some renovations. Um, that place, you know, I think it's it's past its time. I mean, it was great back in the early days, but right now um, Fresno State is getting a little bit behind as far as the quality of Fresno of the uh, stadium and the fan experience. And I was just there at the last game. Things things have changed. They've already put in the new beer garden. Um, that is a big plus because now fans have a place to go and actually have a uh, a beer while the, either the game is on or during intermission and still be able to get into the stadium. They're not locked out of the stadium to go get something to drink. So, you know, that's that's one step in the right direction I know that the fans were clamoring for. Now, an, another, another question. Um, I, this one is one that was asked about Meissenheimer. Um, why, why didn't, why was Meissenheimer held out as a precaution due to minor injuries? Or I mean, actually, why was Meissenheimer held out, especially after Garrison was suspended or ejected from the game? Uh, yeah, you kind of hit it on there. Uh, it's just precautionary. Uh, the guy, you know, Meissenheimer is a guy that hadn't, hasn't been healthy for the past couple of years. And, and, he wants to play and Fresno state wants him to play. They feel like this kid can be a difference maker in the offense if they can get him on the field. And if, 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 if he's not ready, there's no point in rushing him back. You fans should get, I would think I would hope fans. And I'm not saying that this person is or isn't, I have no idea. I'm just saying as a general rule of thumb, fans should probably get more used to the idea of coaches beginning to hold guys out for precautionary reasons with the sport becoming more and more important at a more and more profitable level. uh, You're starting to see some of the business side of some of these decisions where it's like, you know, we just have enough talent that we don't need to risk this kid this weekend. It's not worth it. You get a guy who has a, a hamstring injury. Sometimes those things can take a month or two to recover from. Why bring him back in a month if you really need him for the last push of the season? He wants to get back. He may want to come back too early, but if he does and he gets injured again, which is really likely given an injury like that, he's going to be lost for the entire season. So, yeah. The way teams are recruiting with versatility and and with depth, you're going to see guys getting held out for precautionary reasons. And Meissenheimer is one of those guys because the team would like to have him over the long haul. Um, unfortunately, uh, Meissenheimer also hasn't proven to be that effective in Shram's spread offense. Um, no, he we'll struggled. See. What's that? He struggled. Yeah, he has struggled, and and Garrison's stupid decision is really probably going to hurt Fresno State because having the ability to spell a back like Waller against an SEC defensive front is absolutely critical, and Garrison could have provided that spell, uh, but and and you know I'm not going to be too harsh on him because I was a kid and I made mistakes too, so I'm just going to say this once and I'll leave it here. His stupid mistake is going to end up costing Fresno a stupid, selfish mistake. And these are things that come back to bite you in the ass when you play against teams like this. Uh, hopefully for Garrison, Meissenheimer can get in there and, and be effective. 
uh, and, and, and sort of give Waller that relief against an SEC defensive front until you, they, they have all of their weapons in the second half. But typically, you want the ability to set things up in the early going and have all your tools available, especially in the running game, before it's halftime. Because you could be down pretty significantly by halftime and the run's no longer an option. I mean, not effectively anyway. Uh, so that's the what and why of Meissenheimer. Uh, so, I, I mean, I realize we got a little bit into it with get with Garrison there, but, but, but that's sort of where this team is at. They held them out as a precautionary measure because it makes the most sense. Yeah. And that's it. And like you said, also Meissenheimer hasn't really been all that effective. So why, why even use him right now, especially if he's not even a hundred percent, which he's not, um, you, we have Fresno State has to develop that depth even further behind Garrison to see what else they have. And to tell you the truth, they're going to need that, especially for the future after Martez Waller leaves the He's got 146 rushing yards in his career at Fresno State. So, and he's a senior. Yeah, I mean, he should have a lot more than that. So... There's a like Waller had nine more yards than that last week. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I, I would have liked to seen Waller a little bit more, but there's really no reason why to to force that issue. I mean, they had other guys that they needed to, to see in competition and they threw him in there to see what they had. And, you know, that that's what you do against those type of teams next week. That's going to be a different story, especially when they travel down and, and to play Ole Miss where those defenders are a lot bigger and a lot faster than ACU. Not to not to put down ACU, but it's going to be a bigger test, which is one reason why um, we, we've got a special guest on. And uh, so without further ado, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce our, uh, our special guest here uh, covering Old Miss. Yeah, we're very pleased to welcome on Ben Garrett from OM Spirit, Ole Miss Spirit Scouts uh, Ole Miss site. Uh, Ben's basically uh, going to come in and lay down the thunder stick, uh, if you will, sort of Mad Max welcome to the Thunderdome on Ole Miss, man. Uh, and he's going to do it with the best Southern accent ever. <laughs> yes, he He's going to do it with a true Ole Miss ac- accent. Like... I kind of picture Ben sitting there during the interview because for those who don't know, we had to we had to pre-record the interview with Ben a little bit early uh, because of the time difference with with him being out in Mississippi and us being here in California. Uh, and and I could just picture Ben sitting there like in a bow tie with a hot toddy, like holding, you know, just got me because his picture is him. And I assume it's his daughter. Uh, I could just sit, you know, bouncing her up and down on the knee uh, doing doing the awesome dad thing while while drinking a hot toddy and a bow tie, you know, like uh, and talking college football. That's how I like to picture what just happened. And uh, you know, it is it was a great interview. So it really was, man. That guy is such a wealth of knowledge. You know, it, and he answered the questions you guys provide us. So without further ado, let's go ahead and play that interview that Josh had with him earlier. All right, and welcome back to. 
our Red Wave Report podcast. Uh, I am Josh Webb, and right now we're going to be joined by a special guest, uh, Ben Garrett from Rebel Spirit, Ole Miss Spirit, uh, Ole Miss's scout site. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, man, I'm uh, happy to be here. It's a fun game coming up between Ole Miss and Fresno State, two teams that have played each other. It seems like every year for the last 10 years, I'm telling you, because they play so often or so sporadically. It's been weird. Yeah, how excited I, – I, I mean, the SEC season is obviously something that fans take very seriously. But during the early going, the early con, or early slate of games in college football, I feel like sometimes these matchups can be a bit more appealing than, than the, the UT Martins of the world. How excited are the, the, the Rebel fan base to at least get a team in there to where they can figure out? I, I mean, because Ole Miss just put a beat down last weekend, and I, we'll get into that in a second, but I'm curious how much film they could even draw from, from that on the Ole Miss side. So are, are, is there excitement to see an opponent of the caliber of Fresno to get in there and at least assess where things are at? Yeah, it's a step up, and and um, you know from you to to Martin certainly, um, you know head coach Hugh Freeze. We met with him on Monday, and he said that specifically, this is more of a test to see where they are and um, to determine how far along Ole Miss is. I mean, look, Ole Miss is going to be continuing from the SEC West this year. Uh, um, it's going to be among the top fifteen to ten teams in the in in the country this year. Fresno State is uh, certainly improved, and uh, Tim DeRuiter's done a great job, uh, but for Ole Miss. You know, I think it, it was pretty telling that with UT Martin to win 76-3 to is kind of how you should be beating a UT Martin if you're a good team. But you're right, you don't get really much of a gauge of how good you, you are or, or um, you know, w- what you can possibly do in a season against a UT Martin. Fresno State provides a little bit more of a challenge, and what, what it gives Ole Miss, too, is a chance to really um, get a good gauge on maybe guys that – uh, haven't played that much, like a Sean Rollins who started at right tackle for the first time against UT Martin as the Laramie Tunsil situation is uh, uh, still kind of up in the air. Um, you know, but it also gives them a chance to head into uh, Alabama next week, um, you, know, feel, you know, having a better idea of what they are and uh, what they could potentially do. I kind of want to get this off the table right now because I've been fending off this question from fans. I think the college football era changed things in that Teams can no longer afford to overlook an opponent. Ohio State, even though they won the national title last year, I'm pretty sure on selection night, their butts were puckered thinking about what could be because of that loss to Virginia Tech. While they got the benefit of the doubt this year, I'm not entirely sure that another team would get that moving forward. Is there any possibility... Ole Miss is even looking past this game toward Alabama in the slightest. Because I'm arguing with Fresno fans, it's not going to happen. It just can't in the playoff era. I don't think it's happening. Um, obviously, it's it's hard not to think about Alabama. I mean, that's going to be a game that goes a long way in determining who wins the SEC West. And um, we're talking to a number of players this week, including safety Trey Elston. Um, he admitted, he said, look, man, it, it's kind of tough not to think about Alabama and think about, okay, well, how good are we? How can we beat Alabama again? But it, it's too early in the season to be overlooking opponents, man. I mean, th- these kids are excited to play. They've been hitting on each other for a month. They didn't get enough of a taste of another opponent because, uh, you know, most of the stars on the team, say Laquan Treadwell or Robert Kimdichie, they didn't play but a couple of series against UT Martin. Uh, didn't really need the full troops to uh, beat UT Martin and beat them pretty good. So, um, you know, I don't think there's any overlooking Fresno State. They'll be excited to again play at home um, to get another opportunity in front of in front of a uh, 
very excited Ole Miss fan base that has a lot of expectations for the year, and uh, I think they'll play well. Um, I think my most in, my most intriguing aspect from an Ole Miss angle is uh, how Chad Kelly handles himself in his second game. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate or whatever about how uh, you know there, it's still an ongoing quarterback competition at Ole Miss, but it really isn't. Uh, Chad Kelly's been the leader since the spring. He was the leader all fall. He started the first game to uh, you know played the the, the majority of the uh, of the series. And I think the same will happen against Fresno State because going into week three against Alabama, you need to have an established starter that you can get an offensive rhythm with, and that guy I think is going to be Chad Kelly. So a lot of interesting storylines, and no, I don't think Fresno State is a team Ole Miss is overlooking. Um, you know, again, it'll be a, a much better test for them compared to UT Martin, and, uh, you know, it, it should be an interesting one to watch. You know, you mentioned a couple of those guys. I want to touch on them for a brief second. Laquan Treadwell. He only played a couple of snaps, man, coming off just that nasty injury against Auburn. But prior to that, I argue that this kid was as good as any in the nation when it came to receiving. Uh, where is he at? How healthy is he expected to be for this game? And then with the Tunsil situation, how likely – I feel like you answered the Kelly question, so I'll leave that one alone. But how likely is Ole Miss to run the ball with Tunsil out? Uh, is that something they're they're hesitant about without him in the lineup? Well, first I'll start with Laquan. Laquan's completely healthy. He's been healthy actually since the spring, um, but they've been cautious with him because they just didn't want anything to potentially happen to him. I mean, you're talking about a kid who's a fringe first-round NFL draft pick right now. Um, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the country, let alone the SEC. Um, so they wanted to protect him in the spring and also in fall camp, so he didn't do a lot of contact. And what that led to was a little bit of rust against UT Martin. A couple of drop balls that is very, that are very, that's very uncharacteristic um, of Laquan, but he's fine. He, uh, he looks good. His routes are crisp. Um, you know, he, he's lost about 10, 15 pounds. And, uh, while you would think that might be a bad thing for a really physical guy like Laquan Treadwell, um, what it's done is added a little bit of burst and he's still the same physical guy. So Laquan will be fine. Uh, he just needs to continue to get his feet under him and play in playing situations and game situations. And, uh, you know, be back to form uh, rather than well. As far as Larry, um, no, I don't think Ole Miss will have any hesitation to run the ball. Um, they'll experiment a little bit more up front with the offensive line. They could get away with uh, starting Deshaun Rollins, who was a redshirt freshman, uh, giving him his first start against UT Martin right tackle, moving their starting right tackle, Fawn Cooper, left. But you, you kind of want Fawn, who is a really, really good right tackle, a really solid right tackle. Uh, he becomes pretty average at left tackle. You don't want him shifting around, especially with Alabama coming up. So they're what they're try, kind of experimenting with right now is, is leaving Fawn where he is. Because um, and, and also when you move Fawn, you got to reshift the rest of the offensive line, um, which, you, which is not something not, not very good, especially when you consider Alabama's coming up. So what they're trying to do this week is practice some different guys at left tackle um, to see if maybe they can leave everything else in place. And that includes Rod Taylor, who was projected to be their starting right guard. Um, to start the season playing him at left tackle. He was injured last week. He tore his labrum two weeks ago in an unauthorized boxing match. So uh, he's been sitting out. Uh, but what that'll allow is for everyone else to stay in the same places. And, uh, you know, Rod, who's one of the most athletic players on the team, let alone the offensive line, uh, give him a chance to show what he can do at left tackle should it Larry not play. But as far as hesitation, no. They won't have any hesitation to run the ball. Um, they have to commit themselves to the run. Uh, and, and what – their tempo, because Ole Miss is an up-tempo team, what their tempo allows them to do is to maybe mask maybe some deficiencies up front um, because they go so fast. So there won't be any hesitation. Uh, we'll just see, um, you know, how 
much they need to run the ball against Fresno State because, again, Ole Miss is seven, eight deep at wide receiver, and uh, they, they want to try to open it up and go as quickly as possible. And some of their passing game is considered the running game. Those short screen passes, those short uh, quick t- turn and throw to the Quantrebo passes are considered long handoffs. So um, there's a way to be creative with it, but there won't be any hesitation at all. And, you know, that's not too dissimilar from from how Fresno State will incorporate their backs out of the flat sometimes. But I, I want to ask about about Laramie Tunsil. Easily one of my favorite quotes during recruiting season when that guy was being recruited. And he gets out there on Twitter and just says, Tunsil, go and do Tunsil. Probably one of my favorite recruiting quotes of all time. What is the latest on Tunsil? Is he going to be back for this game? Is that something that they're even going to know until the day of? I mean, it, it. I've been reading the reports in the media, and it seems pretty fluid, so you seem like the perfect person to ask. Uh, it's two to four games. Um, you know, as far as I understand it, you know, I've, I've been asked about Larry Tunsil probably ten times a day for the past week and a half. Um, and from everything I've gathered, you know, it seems to be a two to four game situation. Um I don't know if he's going to play Saturday against Fresno State. If I had to venture a guess, I'd say no, um, uh, that they'll hold him out again and potentially play him against Alabama. Um, right now, I'm here. I mean, if, if you put a gun to my head and said, how long will he be out, I'd say it'd be four games. But, um, you know, that that's just today. I know that there's a lot of uh, back-and-forth discussions between Ole Miss and, and uh, those who would be responsible for keeping him out. Um, and right now, it's just a total precautionary thing from Ole Miss's end. This is not – uh, sanctions levied by the NCAA. This is not, um, you know, uh, someone telling Ole Miss you have to sit Laramie Tunsil, but um, they're sitting him for precautionary reasons, and they're trying to talk, talk through some things and work some things out. So uh, I don't think he'll play against Fresno State, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he does. Um, you know, he, th- there's no doubt that um, Laramie could get up off a couch and be a good left tackle, but um, you still want him to get a little bit of a uh, of a rhythm um you know, going into Alabama. And I know I keep mentioning Alabama, but, you know, Ole Miss is favorite against Fresno State. He expects to beat Fresno State at home. Um, you know, I think it'll be a much better test. I think Fresno State's a, a good football team and can do some good things this year. But um, Ole Miss should beat Fresno State. Uh, and you want to be all hands on deck and, and get guys like Laramie Tunsil as much game action as possible um, because, you, you know, the, the, the biggest test yet comes in Alabama. Um, but again, I don't, I don't think he'll play. Uh, we'll see how it works out. They're still talking through some things as you and I record this on a Wednesday. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But, uh, as of today, I don't think he'll play. And here are a couple, uh, I guess you could call these operational questions. I've never heard this one before. So if you have knowledge on this, I'd be keen to hear it. One of our listeners asked, I'd like to know about the SEC travel squad, uh, squad limit. I believe teams who travel to play SEC teams are allowed to use the SEC limit rather than the conference limit. Would Ben happen to know anything about this? Um, yeah, I, this travel squad limit is is uh, for the SEC is only eighty, so you can carry eighty with you. You can, uh, I think, you can dress ninety five. Uh, the home team at least is you can dress ninety five, and you can uh, uh, only use eighty. But I think the travel roster is I think seventy one, seventy. I can't remember exactly. Um, but as far as who you can carry with you, Ole Miss can, you know, it, it follows the SEC rule of how many it can carry. Um, there's no, you know, uh, changing up. If you go to Fresno State, Ole Miss doesn't have to adhere to their conference rules as far as it relates to uh, travel schedule. I mean, travel uh, numbers. So, yeah, uh, the home the home situation is 95 and you can dress 80. Uh, but um, 
you know, for for travel, it's it's ten less than that or so, and uh, you follow SEC rules. And uh, in terms of the elements, uh, fans are reading that there's going to be a 20% chance of rain. For those fans who will be traveling to the game, is it going to be a hot, muggy day? Will the rain make it a more mild event? For those who've never been to the Grove, just just hit them with the honest reality of what they can expect. This is 110-degree Fresno, so hit them with the truth. Well, last week uh, against UT Martin was one of the hottest games Um you know, I, I've ever been to uh, at Ole Miss. Seriously, I mean, it was ungodly hot. And uh, for those Ole Miss fans that braved that heat and stayed out there for the length of the game, you know, y'all are some troopers because that was that was tough. I would say on the field it was about 121 degrees with the turf. I mean, it was it was bad. Um, fortunately for Fresno fans that might be making this trip, it's going to be it's supposed to be like 77 degrees on Saturday, um, which makes for a perfect Grove day. Look, man, it's Mississippi. There's a 20% chance of rain every day in Mississippi, um, especially in the summer. So uh, I don't read anything into that. I read more into how hot it's predicted to be. And if it's only predicted to be 77, hell, man, that's a vacation for most everybody over here. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, it'll be a perfect Grove day for uh, fans who haven't seen it before and for fans that go out there every Saturday and set up their tailgates. Um, you know, this is what they've been waiting for. And a 2.30 kickoff is perfect because you get to go out and really experience the uh, tailgating experience at Ole Miss uh, for a couple hours, and then you get to go to the game. So uh, it should be a good time, man. I mean, I think uh, if you haven't been there, you absolutely need to get there early um, so you can see it, so that you can uh, walk around and view what, what a day is like at Ole Miss on a football Saturday um, because it's always been one of the best you know, atmospheres in college football on a Saturday. But now that Ole Miss is having real success, it's uh, it's even crazier. So, yeah, man, it, it should be a perfect Saturday, and uh, you know, look forward to going out there. Yeah, everything that I've ever heard about the Grove, I, I remember very early on in my USC profession, I'd gotten into not an argument, but a back and forth with somebody about the best tailgates in college football, and and they laid down the law that Ole Miss had it, and we're not going to back down off of it. So this is this is a a very profound and 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 proliferated statement in college football that that the Grove is the place to be on college game day. Uh, I would certainly agree with that. It it just it has a different feel. Like I don't I don't know how to put into words for fans who've never seen it that that the Grove is just different. Like it 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 is if you had to describe how would you describe it? I mean it I I feel like I'm coming up empty trying to describe what what the Grove is like and and what that means to the Ole Miss fans and why it's so special. I feel like the South is a place you just have to experience it to truly understand it. Would you say that that's true of the Grove? Yeah, I think the Grove is a um, good encapsulation of everything that uh, Oxford has to offer, you know, be it hospitality, um, you know, nice dressing people. uh, good food, bow ties. a lot, a lot of, yeah, a lot of drinking, um, you know, and, and, and just fun, man. I mean, Oxford's a great place. It's one of the most fun places, uh, that you can go to in college football. It's just, seriously, as a town, I mean, it, it's a small, uh, Mississippi town in the Northeast Mississippi, I mean, the corner of the, of, of the state. And, uh, it, it's a great place, man. It's just, um, I think what makes it so special is that, you know, Ole Miss fans, you know, when you go anywhere else, to maybe LSU or whatever, they're really hard on opposing fans. Um, but if you come to Ole Miss, unless you're an LSU fan or a Mississippi State fan, 
um, they're going to welcome you with open arms and want you to experience the growth for what it is and how they enjoy it. So uh, if you're a Fresno guy and you've never been before and you just start walking through, um, there will be people out there that welcome you into a tent, give you some chicken, give you a beer, and tell you to you know enjoy the game. Um, it's just a big kind of uh, – family's a bad word, but – uh, a, a very welcoming Not family atmosphere. works. That's that's Fresno's motto. That's Fresno's yeah, it, motto. It's, it's 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 just a very all encompassing thing. Like I, I think what makes the Grove special is that anybody can be a part of it, and it's this huge sense of community um, that people kind of gravitate towards and, and enjoy. That they know they can go on a Saturday, no matter what's happened, on, you know, throughout the week, they can go on a Saturday, set up a tent with thousands upon thousands of other people. And, you know, and, you know, kind of enjoy this one central thing that everyone shares in common. And that's Ole Miss football. And um, people just enjoy it, man. It's just a great way to get away from everything in a week. And it's a mini vacation for a lot of people. Uh, because, like, when you go out there and you see it, the tents aren't just popping a tent up in a parking lot. This is a huge Central, you know, Central Park-esque kind of uh, grassy area. You know, it's not even remotely the size of Central Park, but that's kind of how the layout is. It's called the Grove. And they all set up their tents. Some of them with chandeliers. Other ones, uh, you know, just the, the food is incredible. But TVs and, uh, you know, they just spend their whole day sitting in the Grove. And um, it's just a really cool experience, man. I think everybody should go check it out. Um, and, and if you got a chance to see it on game day last year, you got a good, you got a good taste of it. But um, you got to come see it for yourself firsthand. And a couple last things here. One person wanted to ask about a very specific Ole Miss player with ties, as you know, to the Central Valley. Uh, T. Shepard, how much does Ole Miss expect out of him? Um, and is he going to be contributing this weekend? Yeah, he'll absolutely be contributing. He's their number three cornerback. He's pushing starters Kendarius Webster and Tony Bridges. Um, prior to last season, uh, T. was slated to start uh, you know, over, over uh, Sinquez Golson, who went on to become an All-American. Um, unfortunately, T got hurt, lost for the season with a uh, injury to his foot. Um, but he's back this year and he's playing well. He's, uh, you know, he had a really strong spring. Uh, was kind of up and down a little bit in the fall, but uh, came on strong there at the end. Uh, and right, right now, he's their number three cornerback. And in terms of pure talent, um, there are very few on this team who's, who are better than T. Um, it's just a matter of him getting used to playing football. He's been out for so long that you know uh, he he's kind of flying everywhere. But right now, he, he's finding his, his voice and he's finding his uh, rhythm and his playing, uh, you know, a good brand of football. And he'll only get better as the year goes on. Uh, they have a lot of expectations for T. And, um, you know, I think T uh, is, is poised to do big things. And while right now he's uh, just a rotational guy behind Ken and, and Tony, he is the solid number three cornerback, but he's, that's still a rotational guy. Um, I expect him to really um, start shining and showing how good of a player he is as the season wears on. And lastly, what I'd ask is <clears throat> if, if you had to pick out one aspect on offense and defense that both Fresno should key in on against Ole Miss and that Fresno should be worried about Ole Miss against Ole Miss, uh, what would you break those? I guess you can call those the keys to the game for both teams. What's what's the path for Fresno keeping this thing close, potentially upsetting, and then what's the old path for Ole Miss to just do what they do? For Ole Miss, uh, I'll start there. For Ole Miss, just, you know, they're expected to win this game. Uh, they have the horses uh, that, to keep this from really being a close one. Um, it's just a matter of, of staying on schedule offensively, uh, not getting behind down in distance. Um, turnovers always neutralize a game. If you 
turn the ball over against a team that you're supposed to beat, all of a sudden confidence builds and also puts your defense in precarious situations. And, uh, you know, anything can happen. But if Ole Miss stays on schedule, doesn't turn the ball over, um, and, 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 you know, stays within the construct of its offense, I think, um, you know, they'll beat Fresno and be in pretty handily, to be quite honest. I mean, defensively, Ole Miss is one of the best units in the, in the country again. Didn't have the best debut against UT Martin, but they still only gave up three points. Um, UT Martin barely moved the ball, but from their standards, they felt like it wasn't good enough. So uh, they get some guys back like a C.J. Johnson, their starting middle linebacker. Um, Fadal Brown, a starting defensive end, didn't start last week because uh, he missed a week of practice due to the death in his family. He'll be back starting. Uh, you know, so their defense is, is rounding back into form and, and, you know, starting to look like the unit that finished, you know, first in the nation in scoring defense last year. So I think they'll be fine. Um, for Fresno, though, I mean, there, there are a, a number of things they could do um, to stay in this game for a lengthy amount of time. You know, throw everything you have at Chad Kelly. Could try to confuse him. Um, you know, uh, turn, turn him over once or twice. Um, it, you know, you're not going to slow Ole Miss down. Ole Miss is going to score points. Uh, you know, their strength is wide receiver. They're seven deep there, and that's not an exaggeration. They're seven deep at wide receiver, potentially eight or nine deep um, if they needed to play those players. But they're going to try to redshirt a few of them. Uh, so, you know, as if, you know, if you can avoid big plays, you know, limit the, the disaster plays last, last week against UT Martin. I mean, you're seeing plays of 60 yards, 56, uh, 58, 31. I mean, you, you've got to avoid, um, the, the disaster plays that just cripple, cripple a game and give you absolutely no chance. Make Ole Miss sustain drives. Like I said, they'll be in tempo and going fast, but can you make them sustain those drives rather than just hit, uh, quick shots, and, and and start, you know, uh, stacking points on points on the scoreboard. So that's a way. And then, you know, offensively, you got to be opportunistic. When there's something there, um, you have to take advantage of it because Ole Miss isn't going to give you an inch. Um, good luck blocking Robert Kimdichie. It's probably not going to happen. Um, he, he gets double, triple teamed every single week, and he always seems to wreak havoc in the backfield. Um, but take what's given and, uh, you know, you know, pop big plays if they're there, but because if you miss on those opportunities, um, there aren't going to be very many of them. So uh, it's going to be hard to make up for that. So I think that's kind of the keys to the game. But like I said before, and uh, I think you would agree with this, I mean, Ole Miss is favored in this game. Again, one of the uh, contenders in the SEC West uh, at home, um, that they're going to win the game more than likely, but uh, it just it's a matter of how good can they look doing it. And uh, uh, if you're Ole Miss, you want to get in there, have a clean game, and uh, not let it be any kind of stressful Saturday because you got the big one in Alabama coming next weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, I, for, for my part, I, I think that where fans are at with some of these power five games, and I, I've written an article on this for the site yesterday, Fresno state's been outscored about 211 to 79 in their last four games against power five opponents. And one of the things that made Fresno such a, a name around college football, despite coming from a relatively smallish town, uh, even though it's not really that small compared to these larger locations, uh, is the fact that they'd play anybody anywhere, anytime, and then they would acquit themselves well. And Fresno State seems to have gotten away from that. So for me, I feel like Fresno State putting forth an honest effort and, and not 
I, I agree with you about the horses. All I really want to see out of Fresno State for this game, and this isn't to say just go in there and do your best, Johnny, but I would like to see the Bulldogs get in there and show that same effort that teams of your used to show when they met these Power 5 opponents, be it in bowls, on their own turf, wherever it was, they were not getting blown out by 30-plus points. That, for me, would be a good outing for Fresno. But I know your fans have to have some questions. What you got for me? Well, the the first one, and I only have a couple of them here. Uh, the first one is just you know because this is a different Fresno team than Ole Miss saw years past. Um, you know the, the 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 Pat Hill days are long gone. Just what kind of team should Ole Miss be expecting on Saturday? Uh, the first thing that Ole Miss should be expecting is a run-heavy team. It might not seem like it because this offense puts up video game numbers uh, in the passing game. Well, they did under Carr, not so much under Burrell. But this is a team that likes to get after the, the, the power run game. That's sort of Norcross's bread and butter. Martez Waller was a leading rusher in the Mountain West. Ole Miss can expect to see a healthy dose of him. Uh, Waller's a guy that Ole Miss relies upon. Truthfully, I think he he, he is a Division One back, probably at, at the Power 5 level. He He's just a guy that got overlooked. He's similar to that Jay Ajayi in that he can hurt you. Uh, he might not look like it, but he will hurt you. Uh, and, and then I think they can expect a healthy dose of interesting play calling from Schramm, who's trying to get this thing out of the gate. Uh, th this offense likes to move at tempo. You said Ole Miss likes to move at tempo. That's something that Fresno State likes to do as well. They like to get after it. They like to rack up a large amount of plays. Sometimes 80 is about the range that they like to shoot for. I think that's about the normal for most NUNH teams these days. Um, so they're going to pro probably try and get in as many plays as possible. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Toth is going to come with some exotic blitz, blitz packages, like you said, to try and confuse Kelly. Uh, one of the things that Toth does really well with that 3-4 defense is, and I think it'll be interesting too, because he likes to leave his corners on an island so that he can get exotic with some of these blitz packages. But he does like to get after and use the linebackers uh, it, it, it disguise his linebackers and blitz packages to get after the quarterback, particularly those outside backers. Uh, in coverage, I don't think the Bulldogs have a guy that can cover Laquan Treadwell. I said as much on the site. I don't think there are too many corners in the nation that could cover Laquan Treadwell. Uh, I think you're looking at needing like a Trey Waynes or almost an Adoree Jackson when he's fully developed to cover a guy like that, and I still think it's a tall ask. So I, I think Toth is going to understand that Treadwell is going to hurt them and that they're going to try and keep everything else in front of them. It's the big plays you have to watch out for. And Chad Kelly's just got such an arm uh, that, that I think there's real potential for some of those Ole Miss receivers to get in behind Fresno State DBs if they're not paying attention to alignment and assignment. So I, I, I think Bulldog or, uh, Rebel fans can expect to see Fresno State come out and bring intensity. Whether or not they're able to keep that intensity up based on the score or or the, the sort of events over the course of the game remains to be seen. But the Bulldogs will at least bring 150% through the first half. Give me a player um, that Ole Miss fans don't know going into the game that when they see him that you know defense offensive side will say, wow, that's a good player. Depending, I already mentioned Martez Waller, so I'm going to set him aside. But 
depending on how much time they get, because they're still working in a lot of these receivers, they're also really depth, uh, deep at the receiver position. But there are three guys that I would keep an eye on, and all three of them are receivers. Josiah Blandon featured pretty heavily for Fresno State in their win over Abilene Christian. He's a guy that they went out and got because he has the ability to basically high point everyone. So this is your, in essence, Odell Beckham type receiver that you can just throw it up and trust that this guy's going to get it. Uh, on a quiet front, Jameer Jordan is a guy that – Every time I see this kid, I, I remain not only impressed, but wonder how college scouts didn't notice him, uh, didn't notice him a lot earlier, or he, how he fell to Fresno, that he can make impressive one-handed catches, the guy understands routes as well as, well as anyone, and, and to be honest, he probably would have played last year had he not gotten hurt. And then lastly, LJ Reed, a former UCLA commit uh, who wasn't a... He, couldn't get in on a test score, but the, the staff at you know, uh, Mazzoni and Mora and company actually worked with DeRuder to try and get him into Fresno State to try and find him a home because they loved this kid so much. He would have started at UCLA this year on that team uh, they were expecting. So those are three guys. Like, I want to give you one name, but Fresno's not quite sure who their one names are yet. So it makes it difficult for me to give it to you as they're still experimenting, but keep an eye on one of those three guys, because that's, that's the bread and butter of their offense, Mark Waller and, and one of those receivers. Well, because we're kind of pressed for time and we need to wrap this up, I'll just leave, I'll just leave, leave this last one and, and let you answer this one and let it be the last one. Um, this game stays close if what happens? This game stays close, I think, if Fresno State is able to do exactly what you said about confusing Kelly and getting pressure on him. If Fresno State is able to force Ole Miss to defend against the run and the pass, I resist. I, I said average in my article. I don't mean that in the sense of they're just average. Statistically wise, if you can get them defending against the run and the pass, you can get Ole Miss at about that 50-60 range uh, uh, on defensive stats. If you can do that, that's at least a better chance than those red zone scoring numbers that you're talking about where they lead the nation. These are things, areas when you're not going to beat Ole Miss. So they need to make this team defend against the run and the pass, and they have to force turnovers. If Fresno State loses the turnover battle to Ole Miss like they did against Abilene Christian, there's literally no chance that they're going to keep this game close, let alone win it. Well, boom, there you go. I think we've totally broken down this game in every possible way. And I apologize for hijacking the, the vast majority of the combo or convo. I just have to think that on some level that Ole Miss is actually the, the team that people probably want to talk about right now. It's, you know, even well, it's, though it's the case of, uh, you know, one team goes into this with everything to lose and not a ton to gain. And one team goes in it with everything to gain. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. No, uh, it's I just, true. It, it just, you know, so that's what makes it interesting from a Fresno State perspective. If, you know, if you know nothing about Ole Miss, you you know, if Ole Miss, for example, didn't have the Ole Miss grip on their helmets and had an instead of an Alabama four, you know, a, a number up there, uh, there wouldn't be talks of upset or anything like that. And again, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just saying that this is one of the best, at least talent wise, probably the best team Ole Miss has ever had ever. So uh, if they play up to their capabilities, 
it won't be all that close. So, hey, man, you can hijack it all you want. You know, I'm, I'm going to talk for days. <laughs> and you know what, man? I, I think to some degree there's some apprehension that that's exactly what's going to happen. And if you, if you caught me off air – see, look, I'm just going to do it on air. If you caught me off air, I'd probably be like, yeah, I agree with you. Based on Abilene Christian, I'm not feeling too optimistic. But – I'm going to hope that DeRuiter has, has has these guys ready. I know prior to USC, they legitimately believed they were going to kick their ass. We saw how that went. I, I, I just want to see this team come out and match the intensity. Even if the score gets a little out of hand, if they're playing well into the fourth quarter and Fresno State still coming with everything they have, sometimes you just don't have enough. Look, man, the 300 fought well at Thermopylae, but they didn't win the battle. They went down in legend, but they did not win that battle. If Fresno State can go in there and accomplish something like that, but still come out with, at, at, on the, uh, I guess you could say, ass end of a, a horrible beatdown, I think fans would even be happy with that. They want to see the effort. That's all they want to see this weekend. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I, I enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoy it, Ben. I know you got stuff to do, so we'll let you get to that. But thank you so much for taking time out of your day, and I, I hope I didn't keep you too long. No, man, I enjoyed it. Anytime, give me a shout. Absolutely, Ben. Like I said, that was a great interview that we had uh, with Ben there. And, uh, Josh, it sounded like you guys you guys were just firing it back and forth there for a little bit. Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's pretty much got the knowledge, uh, you know, borrow a phrase from Larry Wilmore. He's got that knowledge college thing going on. Um, he, he just understands Ole Miss as well as anyone. And uh, I I think, like I said, I, I, I feel like I hijacked the, the podcast with him to, to talk about Ole Miss. But I think that's sort of what fans wanted to know. I mean, we're having an extra long podcast today, so it's not like we're not going to get to the Fresno State stuff. But, yeah, I, I almost feel a little bit bad that we dominated the podcast by getting him to answer more questions than we had to answer. We've turned the oh, old wait, wait, Yeah, that way we look like less of fools in the event that this game goes horribly awry. Or we've we've turned the, uh, the old Miss podcast into uh, the Josh podcast there for a little yeah, while. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing we did forget to ask him, and uh, just for <laughs> grins and kicks, there for uh, I, we should have asked him how would the um, old Miss fans react if they saw the bulldog blimp flying overhead. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we really should have. Where was everyone on that one? <laughs> that, like, how come somebody didn't send in a question about shooting down the blimp? <laughs> I I just wanted to get his take on that. I I mean I should have just that's thought of that, but I forgot. Man. That's an extreme possibility. <laughs> but I you know there's still no knowing if the blimp is even going to be there anyways. But you know it would have been a good question to ask him anyways. Um, but like you said, we're going to be getting into the rest of the uh, questions that we had that were for Fresno State. But there's going to be someone on the show that's going to help us out with that. And, you know, it's always nice to have another person to bounce things off of. So, Josh, who do we have in store for that portion of the show? We very astutely reached out to Andrew Martin to come and join us and answer some questions, not only about Bulldog football, to just talk about the Fresno side of things ahead of Ole Miss. So... I mean, when I say we packed a great show for you today, we're bringing you a heavy hitter from Ole Miss and a heavy hitter from Fresno State. 
Yeah, and that's only because we are the number one rated Fresno State podcast out there. No joking. I mean, yeah, we are. I, I did. We, we, we literally are. We moved up. <laughs> I did we're all. We're number one. I did all the research. We're the top in everything out there. So, you know, if anybody else tells you otherwise, have them check it. Uh, check in with us, and we'll tell. We'll set them straight. So, but then, without further ado, let's go ahead and let's let's play that interview that you had with um, Andrew Martin, uh, so that everyone can get their answers their questions answered about bulldog football and as promised we are joined by kc24's cbs 47 basically everywhere's everybody the the bulldog insider host the man himself andrew martin andrew it is always a pleasure how are you doing on this fine wednesday afternoon i'm doing just fine josh it was a pleasure to be on your show and uh looking forward to my trip to ox 43 I've been to 43 of the 50 states, and I get to knock two more off my list because in order to get to Oxford, fly into Memphis and drive an hour and a half because there's no commercial airport in Oxford. So I'll be flying into Memphis, driving to Oxford, and getting to see a game with the Grove as the backdrop. I'm very excited for that. Well, yeah, man. And, and you know, I hear, Andrew, too, that the weather is actually going to be nice uh, this weekend. We had on... Uh, ben Garrett from OM Spirit, uh, Ole Miss's scout site, and he told me that uh, it's projected to be about 77 for game time, uh, and that last weekend was, in, and he said he was not joking, literally the hottest game he'd ever been to in his life, and, and he actually saluted the fans who stayed to the end of, of, of the beatdown. Um, but you don't, you appear to be avoiding that heat wave, so that's a plus, right? Well, we may be avoiding the heat wave, but the air quality in Fresno is less than spectacular. But it is definitely a complete 180. Then, you know, it's funny, the uh, season opener for Fresno State was last Thursday. It was in the mid to high 80s. It was actually pleasant and comfortable. Versus last year when Nebraska came for the home opener, it was like 108 degrees. So 77 sounds pretty good to me. And, uh, I'll be prepared for good weather, and I don't have to worry about rain gear for my camera and equipment. So that's always a plus. Yeah, and, and you know, you and I were both there at that Nebraska game, and, and, and that game was so miserable that even Polini walked into the post-game press conference and was like, that was like the weirdest game I've ever played in my life. It just, that game felt like the game that would never end. It was, it was a, right. players were cool because they got to get out of there and go shower, like, I, Reporters were like, wow, this sucks. I still have to be here for like another two hours. Yeah, and it turned out to be a game that, unfortunately for the Bulldogs and their fans, was just like the other two games to start the season last year. And we asked Coach DeRuiter about that this week and last week, opening with Abilene Christian and the fact that that game was on a Thursday, so you get an extra two days to prepare for going to SEC country because we know that obviously the SEC is, you know, arguably and sometimes not even arguably the best conference in college football, even though Ohio State may end up as repeating as champions this year. Of course, it's still too early to tell about that. But for Fresno State, last year opening on the road at USC, then on the road at Utah, then home for Nebraska, they gave up 50 or more points in each of those games. You know what's going to happen in Oxford because from what I saw – from what I saw in Fresno State's game on Thursday, the Bulldogs obviously won by 21 points, but they were playing an inferior opponent, and they still had some mistakes, whereas Ole Miss looked almost perfect, 76-3. to 
76 points, the most they've scored in the game since 1935. So I have no idea how it's going to play out, but I do know that Fresno State right now is a four-touchdown underdog, and I think that is pretty accurate. Yeah, I, just, I might even actually argue that that's probably too few. I know that there are some Fresno State fans who feel like they can keep this close, and I wrote about how they can. But I want to talk about what you brought up for a second, Andrew, and, and get your opinion on that. You had just mentioned the fact that, you know, historically, these – Power five games, if you include the bowl against USC, I think I did the, the, the math on this and I hope I'm quoting myself correctly here, but Fresno State in their last four games against power five opponents, including the, the, the Vegas Bowl, they have been outscored 211 to 79. Now, fans can take the loss. Uh, that's something I think that, that it's sort of built, not losing is not, I want to be careful how I say this. Losing is not what's built into the culture, but built into the culture of Fresno state football is an understanding that you can lose those games against teams like that. As long as you acquit yourself with pride and leave it all on the field. That's really all that, that, that the Valley has ever asked of their bulldogs. And for the most part, when they play power five teams, that's what you come to expect. Now, DeRuiter's done a lot of winning out of conference or in conference, uh, but he hasn't done it against power five teams and bowls. They haven't even looked good against them. What does Fresno State need to do this week to put on a showing worthy of something that fans can be proud of? Well, and it's not even just Power 5 schools in bowls. They lost to SMU in the Hawaii Bowl in 2012, and they looked very badly doing that. Last year, they lost to Rice in the Hawaii Bowl, and they looked very badly doing that as well. And then there was a regular season game in 2012 where they lost at Tulsa, a game that they should have won. So it's not just the Power 5 schools, but for years and years and years, Fresno State fans have looked at Boise State and thought, that's what we want to be. And I've repeatedly said on your program, on 940 ESPN Radio in Fresno, I've said repeatedly that if Fresno State wants to be taken seriously as a contender for not only a conference championship every single year, but for maybe expansion into a bigger conference, you have to play with the big boys. Boise State has figured it out. They are able to win games against tough opponents, whether it's on the road or at home. You could argue that, yeah, they barely beat Washington and they almost let that game slip away last Friday, but what happened in the Fiesta Bowl last year? They won. They've been to three BCS games, all Fiesta Bowls. They've won each of those games. They've opened the season at Virginia Tech, or excuse me, in Washington, D.C., quote-unquote, at Virginia Tech. They've opened against Georgia on the road in Atlanta. So they've had neutral site games against road teams that are a lot closer than they are, and they've won those games. I think that game against uh, Virginia Tech was only about 250 miles, actually, from Blacksburg. So about the same... Yeah, and the game against Georgia was in Atlanta, which is very close to Athens and nowhere near Boise. The point is, and you're absolutely right, Boise State is able to win those games, which is why they are nationally respected and nationally ranked every single year. Fresno State was nationally ranked in 2013, but the Bulldogs had a special season that year where they won their first 10 games, and they weren't even nationally ranked until they had won like their third or fourth game in a row. Fresno State has not beaten a ranked opponent since the MPC Computers Bowl in December of 2004. That's 19 losses in a row to ranked teams. And after all this, assuming that Utah does not lose to Utah State this Friday, Fresno State will end up playing two conference 
you know, two ranked, excuse me, two ranked opponents in a row because Utah is also ranked. They jumped into the top 25 this week. The biggest thing Fresno State needs to do, because winning obviously would, uh, you know, would solve everything we're talking about, but you have to show up. You have to be in the game. You can't get blown out by three or four touchdowns by halftime because then it's almost like, oh, why did you, you know, why did you schedule this opponent aside from the money? What benefit comes from it if you get blown out? Now, in answer to your question, Josh, about what Fresno State can do to stay in the game, I think it's very simple. I think you have to know your opponent, which means you have to do your research both on film and with your scout team, but you also have to be able to adjust on the fly. A lot of talk about Ole Miss this week has been to try and make them a one-dimensional team. You're not going to be able to do that, but you can limit big plays. You can make them work for all the points they get so they're not jumping out to a 41 to nothing lead at halftime like they did against Tennessee Martin. I don't expect the result from last Saturday to be the result this Saturday because Fresno State is a better team than Tennessee Martin. Having said that, though, Ole Miss has Alabama next week, and you know that they're going to use this game as a warm-up for that game. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but I do think that Fresno State is in a tough position right now because they're not expected to win, which also gives them a little bit of leeway because if they don't win the game, it's almost a, well, nobody expected you to win the game. At the same time, they have to put forth a good effort because otherwise, how are they going to get fans to show up to Bulldog Stadium when they come back next Saturday for Utah? If fans think the season is quote-unquote over because, well, you beat an FCS school in your first game and then you get killed by an SEC school, what's going to happen against the nationally ranked Pac-12 school? It's, it's a tough battle to climb. In order for fans to get excited about this program, it has to win, which it did in 2013. But then again, you and I both saw that once Fresno State lost to San Jose State on the road in 2013 at the end of the regular season, they lost about 10,000 fans for the Mountain West Championship game against Utah State because they wanted the BCS. And as soon as the BCS went out the window, fans were like, well, it's cold, it's you know December, we'll just watch the game on TV. And they couldn't sell out that game. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it certainly, I, I think the atmosphere on the field afterward was was lessened by, by the fact that that game wasn't sold out. Uh, and, you know, you and I were there. It didn't have the feeling... Like I've been to championship games before and that it just didn't have that feel to it. it, it I mean, it felt like a game. <clears throat> you know what it felt like? It felt like the San Diego State game where it's I mean, you get a trophy at the end of it. And in this case, it was an actual trophy, but it, it, it felt meaningless. Uh, and I don't I don't. I don't say that lightly because uh, the Vegas Bowl was and, you know, drawing USC uh, as an opponent, I, I think it it did well for for Fresno State, I think, to be I mean, the BCS obviously would have been the dream, uh, uh, but I don't think, you know, Vegas and USC necessarily hurt them uh, when it came to fans heading out there. It was certainly packed, but it, the game itself against Utah State didn't have that buzz, that aura, that I, I'm going to call it, I'm going to be cliche here, Andrew, and say those tinglys you get when it's all on the line. Uh, would you would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, it's just, it, it's a tough time to be, it, it's a tough time to be associated with Fresno State because everybody looks at, you know, they, they look at the grass is always greener mentality. You know, you, you look at the Mountain Division within the Mountain West Conference, and you see there were, what, four teams last year that had 10-win seasons, I believe? Boise State, Colorado State, Utah State, and Air Force, I think. Or no, I'm sorry, did Utah State, I think, won nine games. So they had, there, there were four teams that had really good seasons last year, 
the West Division is the weaker division. And Fresno State won that division with a 5-3 and three conference record. Two of those losses were to the two worst teams in the Mountain West Conference, Wyoming and UNLV, which, ironically, are the only two teams to lose on opening week. The conference as a whole went 10-2. and two. The only two teams to lose this past week were Wyoming and UNLV. And so you, you're kind of left scratching your head like this team could go into Reno and win a game on the road knowing that it needed to win that game in order to put itself in position to make the Mountain West Championship, but at home it loses to Wyoming when it should have killed Wyoming. Regardless of the fact that they started Zach Greenlee in that game, their defense should not have made Brian Hill look like a Heisman Trophy candidate. So I I do agree with you. I'm just kind of confused as to why Fresno State has been so inconsistent um, of late. I I mean, it used to be a program that under Pat Hill, especially towards the end of his tenure, with the exception of that 2006 season when they only won uh, four games, I believe, they usually win seven, eight, nine games. They graduate their players. They put guys in the NFL. They don't get in trouble off the field, and they're able to go to a bowl game. It's a mid-tier bowl game, mind you, but at least they go to a bowl game. You know, the Fresno State football team of late, 2012 and 2013 both won shares of conference. Excuse me, 2012 won a share of a conference championship. 2013 won an outright conference championship. And so you go from winning nine games, you know, in Deruder's first year to 11 games his second year, and then there's a huge drop off. And now this year the projection is, I think, four or five wins max. So I don't really know what to expect from this team. And the funny thing is, we're not really going to get an indication until two weeks from now when that team is playing at San Jose State because. You play two ranked teams after playing an FCS school, and none of them are conference games. So you don't really know how this team is going to do until it stacks up against its conference, conference foes. And even the San Jose State game is going to be the first conference opponent. It really won't be until the San Diego State game next week when all the chips are going to be on the table. Because at that point, Fresno State knows if you lose on the road at San Diego State, your chances of repeating are slim to none because then if you lose that game, San Diego State's going to have to lose twice for you to pass them, and I don't think that's going to happen this year. Yeah, and you know, I want to talk a bit about that that inconsistency because you brought up a really good point uh, 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 about the quarterback play, and, and and you look at a guy like Greenlee, and you say that maybe he's not as far along as as people think he would be. You know, there was there was a stretch in there where Greenlee went, you know, uh, he he failed to complete about ten to twelve passes. Now, people have raised the point that there were drops, so I'll ask you this. How much of Greenlee's performance is on Zach Greenlee? How much of Greenlee's performance is on the receivers? And how much of Greenlee's performance is on Shram, if any? Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of it is on Greenlee because he's been in the system long enough now to kind of know the lay of the land and know what's expected of him. But it's also on Shram and Deruder because they need to make the adjustments. If they see something happening in-game, they need to relay that message to Greenlee, and he needs to make the adjustments. He did a good job of that on that first touchdown drive on Thursday because the play kind of broke down. He had to scramble and get out of the pocket. He could have been tackled for a big loss, but instead he makes an accurate throw to Jameer Jordan, who also made a great play to you know dive at the pylon and get the touchdown. There has to be more plays like that. You can't expect him to be Derek Carr because he's not, but he has the talent to be successful a lot of it, though, will come from him, but not all of it. He does need to rely on his coaches. And, uh, you know, you, you, you look at, by, by contrast, you have Chase and Virgil in there who was making 
Well, I mean, I guess it's not too much of a contrast since Greenlee was only making his second start for the Bulldogs. Um, but but you have Chase and Virgil who gets in there, his first action uh, with the Bulldogs. And in his first drive, it, it, he goes four or five. And it really probably should have been five for five with two touchdowns. Those, you know, who know what I'm talking about will know what I'm talking about. But uh he also had a couple of mistakes and, and there were a couple of times where, you know, uh, he, he didn't read the play correctly at this point. Where are you at with the quarterbacks? I mean, what did Greenlee show you? What did Virgil show you? Are you leaning any particular direction? Do you feel like going with Greenlee is still the best thing against Ole Miss? Or would you just go ahead and make the move to Virgil and ride or die? Since honestly, it's looking like starting quarterbacks younger and younger is becoming a trend. You blood them early and let them make the mistakes, understanding that you're going to get more out of them in the long run. You're going to get three years instead of two. I think right now you have to go with Greenlee. I think Greenlee does give you the best chance right now because he's been in the system the longest. He started a game last year. He played in three games last year. Virgil, at this time last year, was in high school, and nobody is doubting his talent. There's a reason why DeRuiter said that he plans to play him against Ole Miss and why he played him against Abilene Christian. They know full well that the fact he got into that game last Thursday means he can't redshirt this year, and they don't want to waste the year for him because they want to use him. So I think right now Greenlee is your best option, but the fact that they are making a conscious decision to give Virgil reps means they know he's talented and they know that even though they're not coming out and saying it, if Greenlee proves ineffective to the point where they need to make a switch, they will, and they may not look back. It may be, you know, it may not be injury related. It may be effectiveness. And right now, Greenlee's your guy. But throwing three touchdown, excuse me, throwing three touchdown passes and for 100 against an FCS school, it's good. But that's not what you need going the rest of the way. You need to be able to do that on the road. You know, in uh, in Colorado Springs against the Air Force, you got to be able to do that. Uh, on the road when they go to Hawaii, you know, because Fresno State doesn't always play well on the islands. You have to be able to do that in the games that truly matter, not against just FCS schools. So it's too early to see, you know, but right now I, I, I'm fine with Greenlee being the guy. Jason Virgil, though, is not far behind. No, I, I mean, staying on this topic, and then we'll get into a couple listener questions here before we get you out of here uh, on to Tony's show. I, I want to I wanna follow up with you on something you said, because – I feel like at a certain point, there is the possibility that all of this is unfair to Greenlee. If, as you say, the coaches are looking at this, and I'll I'll just use the phrase with one eye open, if they're sleeping with one eye open, uh, how fair is this to Greenlee? If, as you say, there's that possibility that all of this could be, you know, him getting yanked in favor of, of Virgil could end up being on a hair trigger, how much confidence... A, can he possibly have in himself knowing that that's the case? And and, and B, if if he doesn't have that confidence in himself, well, I suppose that presents another problem and, and you'd get fans saying, well, we, we don't want him anyway. But I'm not necessarily sure that's the best way to go about this. If if you believe that Greenlee gives you the best chance to win, then then you want to at least nurture some confidence in him such that he doesn't think the slightest thing is going to get him pulled Because I feel like that's where this downward spiral for Fresno started. I think that there is a time that this coaching staff tries to be too cute. They overcomplicate things. They make them tougher than they need to be. 
and, and and I feel like they set themselves up almost for failure by rotating these guys in and out like they do. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything that you're saying, Josh. Unfortunately, it's not about Zach Greenlee at this point. It's about what the Bulldogs need to win. If Greenlee is the guy, then it could be a mutually beneficial relationship. But Greenlee had his chance last year. When they put him in before the Wyoming game, which was on November 1st, it was coming right after a bye week. And Coach DeRuiter said, we're making a quarterback change because they didn't feel like Burrell or Kinnett gave the Bulldogs the best chance to win. So they made a decision to go with Greenlee, but he was not effective enough that they had to go back to Burrell in that game. It might have shot his confidence a little bit, but the fact remains, not only did he not take hold of the job when it was given to him last November, he also didn't take hold of the job coming out of spring ball. It was a three-man competition. It became a four-man competition going into fall camp, and even though Greenlee won the job, he didn't win the job in a manner that made you say, wow, no matter what happens, he's our guy. He is you know, the heir to Derek Carr because nobody is confident that he is the complete answer. He's the best option they have right now, and he was effective against Abilene Christian, but because he didn't come out and wow everybody with what he you know, has done to this point, it's his job to lose, but it's not completely in his control. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Chase and Virgil is talented, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Bulldogs just went through this situation last year. So it may not be fair to Greenlee to have to look over his shoulder, but there's one way to erase all the doubts about whether or not he's the permanent guy until his you know, eligibility is used up, and that is to go out and do everything that you did last Thursday, this Saturday, next Saturday, and for the rest of the season. If he can do that, Virgil may get some playing time just to develop depth, but he would never truly contend to be the starter because right now it's Greenlee's job. Well, having said that, because I feel like any, I'll ask this first listener question. Um, I, I feel like you kind of touched on that. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase their question a little bit. Assuming that Greenlee does not perform that, this is my caveat to their question. Here's the rest the actual question. Is there any possibility that we see Childress as part of the quarterback carousel in week two, especially if there's a blowout? Now, I know you said if Greenlee performs well, then we'd likely see Virgil in that mop-up role, and so that sort of answers the question about Ford Childress. However, let's say that Greenlee goes in there and has a Wyoming-like performance, because otherwise you've got nothing to answer with this question. What does this mean for Ford Childress? Would we see him? Would it be mop-up time? Would it be substantial time? What's the latest on him? Well, when Coach DeRuiter was in our studio for the Bulldog Insider on Sunday, I specifically asked him what the plan was for four children's because, as you know, as everybody knows, as little as three weeks ago, this was a three-man competition for the quarterback job. And I said, you didn't get four children's any reps in the game on Thursday. Was that by design? And he said that they actually had thought about it, but there were a couple of turnovers late, like when Keon Williams muffed uh, you know, that punt, and they decided to stick with the quarterbacks they had because they were effective. But DeRuiter did tell me, on the record, it's online right now, if you wanted to watch the, uh, the interview segment at yourcentralvalley.com, there's my shameless plug, DeRuiter did say that Ford Childress is a guy they like, and he's a guy that they're going to try to get reps uh, at some point, but you can't, <coughs> excuse me, you can't really take out reps uh, with the number ones and limit the amount of reps that the current guys who you think are going to play more often are going to get. So it becomes that whole give and take. If you want to get four children's reps because you know that he has the pedigree to be successful, 
but he also came into this race late, and they didn't want to pull a Brandon Connett like last year and basically say it's an open competition with a guy who's been on campus for less than two months. So he did say that they do have a plan for four Childress. They just are not exactly sure how to execute it at this point because there are some um, some unknown factors out there, and a lot of it's going to have to do with the effectiveness of the two quarterbacks because since Childress was not in the offense as long as both Greenlee and uh, Chaston Virgil and Kilton Anderson to another extent, although he got passed on the depth chart, it's Greenlee and Chaston Virgil's battle right now as to which guy is going to outperform the other. And Coach DeRuiter said there is no quarterback controversy. Zach Greenlee is their starter, but we know that if you know Greenlee becomes ineffective or potentially hurt, that Virgil would be right there to potentially step in. And I think if that's the case, then why would you even want to mess with four Childress if Chasen Virgil is going to be your guy moving forward? Because as a true freshman, he can have four years, whereas Childress may only get two. So, um, I guess the long answer to the short question is they want to get children some reps. They just don't know how at this point. And I, I guess a lot of it's going to have to determine how the games go. Um, I mean, maybe Chase and Virgil doesn't get mop up duty at Ole Miss. Maybe he gets reps uh, on the second, you know, second or third series just to get him into the game. You know, we, we won't know till Saturday. And staying on that note, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the backfield. Uh, oh, why didn't Meisenheimer play? Uh, and, and is is the is the reason we didn't see any of those two back sets that we heard about through camp because Meisenheimer didn't play? I think so. Um, they know what they have with Martez Waller, obviously, and we know that uh, we, we know that Garrison, you know, brings a different dynamic to the backfield. Um, Waller is still the guy; he's the main guy. But Garrison got ten carries to you know take some of the pressure and take some of the hard hits off of. Uh, Waller, who had 22 reps. Uh, DeRuiter said the plan is to try and get Meisenheimer, uh, you know, into the action and into the forefront a little bit. And I think that Meisenheimer is definitely going to get some some time because we know that Garrison is suspended for the first half of the game at Ole Miss because he was ejected uh, on Thursday, and that's the NCAA rule. So um, they definitely want to get Meisenheimer into the mix, and he's one of the three captains this year, so I'm sure he wants to get in there as well. And is is there an expectation that the offense will be a bit more multiple this week with, with his return? The conventional wisdom is that we don't show uh, – this is from a listener – we don't show all of our looks at, at, and scheme in early weeks where it is unnecessary. So I'm hoping to see more from mice slash two-back sets that we had heard about uh, – heard of and from the explosive trick playback. I know DeRuiter said Meisenheimer was banged up, but I'm hoping it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. Uh, um, so I guess I the mean, question he, in that is the multiple sets. <laughs> right. He, he might be a little banged up still, and maybe they were trying to shield that information from, you know, not only the media, but also from, uh, you know, from the opponent as well, uh, because he did obviously miss a lot of time, uh, you know, last season. But having said that, he is expected to, to play and contribute this season. And if you look at the depth chart, they've got it listed as an or between him uh, and Dustin Garrison. I know that that's what it was last week. Let me check uh, this week's depth chart as well because I happen to have it in front of me. Um, it is it is an or again as well. So Waller's listed as the starter, and there's an or between Meisenheimer yep. and Garrison. So um, I, I don't... I don't see why, if he isn't healthy, they wouldn't try to get him in there. Because let's face it, when you're playing an Ole Miss team that just put up 76 points, uh, you know, and is going to be a dangerous team, even if they play 10 men on the field instead of 11, you want to throw your best players and basically everything that you can think of 
at a team like that. So I, I would assume that they didn't show everything against Abilene Christian because they wanted to keep a couple things in reserve that they wouldn't be able to put on film for Ole Miss to look at. So um, we'll see. I mean, there, maybe there will be a couple of trick plays. They had that one end around against uh, the Wildcats where Keon Williams tried to take it in from, I think, the 15-yard line. He, he ended up getting, I think, nine yards on the play. But, you know, who knows what else they got, uh, they got in the bag of tricks. We'll, we'll find out on Saturday. And I'll stick with a couple of injury questions here. First of all, uh, well, how are there any notable injuries from week one? And secondly, how healthy is Dalen Jones? Uh, how many defensive series did you notice him play? And I mean, we had him. Uh, he he appears to be fine from what we can tell. And Stratton Bla- uh, Brown played in a series or two in the first half. But Jones seemed to be OK. Uh, did you happen to get track on Dalen Jones or the latest on him? Uh, all I know is that he is good to go because I asked Coach DeRuiter about him as well, and I didn't notice him uh, until I believe it was the fourth quarter get in there. And I think at that point they just, you know, the, the game was the, the, the game was pretty much wrapped up, so they probably wanted to see if he was, you know, ready to go as good as advertised. And it's a remarkable story, you know. I mean, here's the guy who just a couple of weeks ago with a knee injury thought might be out for six to ten weeks. And he ends up missing no time in playing the opener. So Dalen Jones is fine. And uh, on the actual depth chart, they've got him listed as the starter at DB and Stratton Brown back as the backup. So I I would assume they wouldn't do that if they didn't think he'd be effective against Ole Miss because you don't want to put an injured guy back there and potentially get beat deep, you know, without some safety help on uh, on a long time. Laquan Shredwell would be really, really happy if Dalen Jones were injured. I'll tell you that much. Well, yes, although I, I would argue that, you know, the best Actually, players in the Mountain West going up against players in the SEC, it may not matter regardless of uh, of if they had Kyle Will, you know, Wilson back there who was on Boise State a couple of years ago or Orlando Skandrick or something like that. And as I think about it, given what Laquan Treadwell went through last year, I'm not exactly sure Laquan Treadwell would be happy if anybody, opponent or otherwise, would be injured. Um, But I'm sure he would not be at all bummed out about the fact if Dalen Jones weren't 100% when he went up against him. So maybe that's a better way for us to phrase that. Um, Staying... uh, Staying on the uh, on the Bulldogs and, and, and their home schedule, though, I want to talk a bit about stadium renovations. What is the urgency, uh, a fan asked, or uh, we got Dallas Dog asked, what is the urgency to get the stadium renovated? Uh, a little bit earlier in the podcast, I had actually argued that for me, it was just keeping up with the Joneses. It's that simple. Right now, other schools can bring recruits there and say, this is what we got, Fresno can that's really what it comes down to. Uh, the college football game is just emerging way too quickly. You either need to have it or you're going to get left behind. And that's about as far as people need to think it out. Uh, do you have anything else to offer? Am I wrong? I'm probably wrong. Well, the bottom line is the way to get people to open up their wallets and donate is to win football games. It doesn't matter if the soccer team does well. It doesn't matter if the, if the basketball team does well. If the football team does well, people will want to support the program. So um, unfortunately right now you're going to have donors that want to support no matter what, but they really have to take a wait and see approach because they need 60 to $80 million according to Barco. And the only way they're going to get that is if they can prove that they have a winning product on the field. Okay. And a couple last things here before we get you out of here. Uh, Malcolm Washington, how is he performer uh, performing after being a freshman starter last year to a member of the two deep this year? Um, you know, last year I was impressed at the way he was able to tackle 
he definitely has some closing speed, and we saw it. Um, I think the first time I truly noticed it was in Albuquerque last year against New Mexico. Uh, I didn't see anything spectacular in the Abilene Christian game, but I also didn't see anything um, you know, that would kind of like detract from his performance. I thought he was good, and I thought he was somebody who did what he was supposed to, but he wasn't, he wasn't exactly a, um, a standout player, if that makes sense. He did his job and you almost didn't even notice him because you just assumed that he was going to be able to make plays. Um, I, I definitely think he has grown, and I think he'll just get better, uh, you know, the more games he has under his belt. All right, so so now we got gotten out of the listener questions, and I'll ask you my questions. Uh, you, you can keep them as simple or as complex as you want. I'm not going to be offended because I know we're running out of time here. So first thing I'll ask is, who do you think, for the Bulldogs, is going to, and I know the opponent is tough, but that's what makes this fun. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who's going to have a good game against Ole Miss, Andrew? Who is going to have a good game? Hmm. That is a tough question. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Keon Williams has a good game because Jameer Jordan and Josiah Blandon were the two go-to receivers who were both newcomers in the program. Actually, uh, of the four guys listed as the starting wide receivers, three of them are newcomers into the program. Two of them are freshmen, and the third one, uh, Blandon, is a newcomer because he's a J.C. transfer. I, I think Keon Williams is going to make an impact because we know he's got talent. We know he's got football knowledge because his dad is Keith Williams, who right now is the receivers coach at Nebraska, used to be the receivers coach at Fresno State. Um, I think it's going to be Keon Williams because if the defense is focusing on Waller, Jordan, and Josiah Blandon, Somebody's got to make plays if the double team's going to be drawn to another side of the field. So I'm going to say Keon Williams. I like that. I, I, I feel like Keon Williams is a safe pick. Another guy I'm thinking could potentially have an impact, and I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I'm expecting LJ Reed to show up and show out sooner rather than later. The, the Bruins wanted to get him on the field in their team, which I know it was Virginia, and I know that people are overhyping Rosen at this point, but if you look at some of the throws that that kid made on Saturday, holy crap. Like, that guy is amazing. He is every bit as talented as people are saying he is. And if the Bruins wanted to get LJ Reed in that offense and wanted him to get in there early, you just have to think that he's going to make an impact somewhere. And I just feel like if, if Josiah Blandon is not able to get separation and, and, and the Bulldogs aren't able to get something going – I can see DeRuiter looking at LJ Reed and saying, go out there and make something happen. Get out there, get big and make something happen against one of these physical SEC corners. You know, you, you were wanted at UCLA for a reason, but you're playing here. So go make it happen. And, and I don't know why I just, I feel like big time players wait for big time games to make big time plays. And, and I've been really high on LJ Reed. I, I, I think that guy's a tremendous talent. I think Josiah Blandon will have the, that spot this year, but, but I think that there's a game or two where Reed could sneak in and show somebody a potential of what he can do in the future. Uh, so prediction time, Andrew, what's it going to be? Uh, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Fresno state to win this game. Um, I don't think anyone would doubt the fact that there is talent on this program uh, and on this roster, and we definitely saw some guys who um, had good games last Thursday and could become superstars in the future. But if you look at the Fresno State team of 2013, even of 2012, those teams that had 
Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Isaiah Burst, Marcel Jensen, etc., couldn't really make a dent uh, when they played ranked opponents and when they played Power 5 schools. I, I think it'll be very difficult for Fresno State to stay within three touchdowns of Ole Miss. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll find out on Saturday, but I think the Rebels will win this one pretty easily. Okay. Now, given what you've seen, because I feel like here's the, here's the last and toughest question. Given what you've seen in week one, what is your knee-jerk prediction because I asked you before the season, but now you've seen what 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 could what could go right and could go wrong. Give me your week one knee jerk season prediction for the Bulldogs. I'm gonna say, based on what I saw week one, where they're still trying to figure out their identity. I mean, you you know that there's some separation, obviously, between the ones, twos, and threes, but it's not to the point of okay these are our guys, and unless somebody gets hurt or proves ineffective, we're not going to play anybody else. I, I feel like Fresno State is going to try throughout probably at least half the season to figure out which guys can play and which guys play well together, so you got to develop that team chemistry. My gut is that this team will position itself for next year and the year after that, but that unfortunately uh, this season may be lost in the shuffle. I'm not saying that they're going to go out and lose the rest of their games because I don't think that that's the case, but I definitely would be pleasantly surprised if this Fresno State team is able to match the win total from last year. I don't think that this team is completely ready yet because they, I mean, they have 65 freshmen and sophomores. You don't have the senior leadership that you would um, if you had 25 or 30 seniors on your team. So while they may be building for the future, I think unfortunately right now may suffer. So my gut feeling says, based on the way the Abilene Christian game went, that Fresno State will be ready in the future, but is not ready right now to compete with the big boys. Then, then, then I lied. My real last question will get you out of here on this note, and it's a pretty easy one. Will Tim DeRuiter be around in the future if Fresno State, if Fresno State matches or does not match their win total from last year. Will he be around to see this rebuild or will somebody else be taking over the job? I think that no matter what happens, DeRuiter will be the coach next season because not only has he built up credibility and clout by winning conference championships, granted it was with Pat Hill's players, but his first two years he won conference championships. Last year was a disappointing year, but a lot of people are waiting to see if the team can bounce back this year. If it can't, I think he's on the hot seat next year, and then next year would become the make-or-break year. But I don't think that no matter what happens, DeRuiter would not be back as the coach next year. I know that's a double negative. I do think that Tim DeRuiter will be the coach in 2016. Now, beyond that, that's a question for let's see how the season goes before we address that. But Tim DeRuiter will be the coach in 2016. And, man, Andrew, you you know how to bring it in. Uh, uh, you know, just adding on to that real quick, I, I think it would be – DeRuiter's actually – the recruiting is paying off at this point. To, to, to end that without giving him one more year after, as you said, I, I, this is a really young and talented team. You've let him get in a recruiting system that now works. Allow him to see it out at least for one more year after this. Uh, but I will say this. 
if Deruder is going to get that extra year and it's not going well with Greenlee, he either has to make the move to Chase and Virgil, or I'd question whether or not he does deserve that other year. Because if you're going to sell the future on youth, then make the move to youth and, and, and let the youth win you some football games down the line through experience. That would be the only caveat that I'd have to that. Andrew, you are a blessing to talk to you, man. What have you got coming up this week? Where can fans find you and, and any other stories that you're working on? Oh, gosh. Um, well, we'll be everywhere. Uh, for anyone who's uh, listening to this in Fresno tonight and tomorrow, uh, first two playoff games uh, for the Fresno Grizzlies since 1998. So we'll have, uh, we'll have a lot of Fresno Grizzlies coverage tonight and tomorrow. Then Friday, Saturday, and for part of Sunday, I'll be in uh, Oxford, Mississippi, covering the Bulldogs game. I'll be back Sunday afternoon, and then we've got the Bulldog Insider on Sunday, and then we get to do it all over again, preparing for the Utah game next week. So Channel 47, Channel 24, YourCentralValley.com. We'll be at Chuck Chansey Park. We'll be in Oxford, Mississippi. Scott Bemis will have high school football coverage on Friday, and he'll hold down the fort while I'm gone in Mississippi. We, uh, we'll be all over the place. So um, if, you're looking, if you're looking for our sports coverage, you, uh, you won't have to look too far. We'll be, we'll be in a lot of different places. Football season is great, but it is also incredibly busy. So uh, we uh, we always restock and reload, and uh, on to the next game, and on to the next uh, event. And 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 there's nobody that does it better than than yourself and Scott, man, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. I enjoy talking to you. Uh, you know, have fun on Tony's show, and and we'll be in touch down the season, my friend. Sounds good, Josh. Anytime, and thank you, Lucio. Uh, you guys are the best, and your knowledge is. Uh, your knowledge is unparalleled. Hopefully you guys are able to make it up to a game later this season. It's going to happen this year, my friend. It's going to happen. All right. Thanks for joining us. All right. You bet. Take care, man. Again, Andrew Martin brings brings the all the information together exactly how we need it, doesn't he, Josh? Yeah. Andrew is just a uh, – I mean, Andrew – Andrew is one of my favorite people to talk to because unless it's about soccer and Andrew will tell you this himself, so (laughs) I'm not saying anything he hasn't said unless it's about soccer. Andrew will talk circles around me like 99.9% of people I know. I think that there's only one other person I think that could, could, could I'm not even sure they'd talk circles around Andrew. I, I think that these two would like get a beer and merge into one superhuman <laughs> over baseball. Um, Andrew can break down baseball. Like you, you think he knows football, man, like get that guy talking about baseball. I think we're going to have to make a concerted effort to get out there, do some more diamond dogs coverage this year. Uh, and, and, and try and bring you guys some more baseball uh, coverage uh, and get that guy on here to talk some baseball because if you think he does football well, like that's not even his bread and butter in my opinion. And it, he may feel differently. He may think he's a football guy and sucks at baseball, but uh, he brilliant, absolutely brilliant with football, but next level just on baseball, man. I could I, – I like to talk football with Andrew. I like to listen to him talk about baseball. I, I hope I hope our listeners could appreciate what what I meant by that. Well, baseball is it's probably one of the sports this year that I attend. Uh, I plan on attending quite frequently. So that's probably going to be something we're going to have to add on to the to the red uh, wave as far as uh, baseball coverage. Yeah, I uh, you know fans have been asking for it. We finally have the staff now to 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 do larger amount of coverage on these things and. Uh, 
yeah, Lucio is going to be covering some baseball for us this season. And, uh, and it gives us an opportunity to, to, to bring Andrew on to talk about that. So it's not just football all the time. Uh, we, we want to be able to spice up the Red Wave report throughout the year. Uh, and, and also we'll you know, be headed out to, to more basketball games this year. Um, that's about, that's about how far we can stretch ourselves. <laughs> well, so. b- basketball is it, like, like we've said before, it's not my strength. It's not your strength. That's it's Jackson's, Jackson's wheelhouse. Jackson's, yeah. Like, you know, I, I mean, I do, I, I, maybe I'll go watch Fresno state soccer. Like maybe that will be <laughs> what I do. I'll go watch Fresno state soccer. Cause I can do soccer and, and, Football analysis, which, by the way, Man City going for a perfect start to the season this weekend. Going to be awesome. (laughs) You had to throw that in there, didn't you? I did. I did. It's going to be the debut of De Bruyne. It's going to be the debut of the Sterling Silva Aguero De Bruyne uh, attacking quartet. And I could not possibly be more excited about that. And for the one listener that's left after I mentioned anything about soccer, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast there. Um, as always, man, you know where to find us on social media at Barkboard, at Barkboard Scout. Uh, you know where to find me on Twitter at Bulldog Twist, at Fight on Twist. Lucio, wrap us up here, man. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and always make sure you head over to thebarkboard.com and get your information. Uh, If you haven't done so already, become a premium subscriber to get all the latest news and updates because we tend to put in our, uh, you know, our bread and butter stuff on the premium boards that we don't necessarily give out to the general public. So if you haven't done so already, head over there and, and become a member. You can catch me at Red Wave Report on Twitter. You can also check out our Facebook page, Red Wave Report, or you can email the show at redwavereport at gmail.com. And again, I'd like to thank everyone and join us again next time as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.